We're in Revelation uh, chapter 3 and we've been looking at the the trials, the tribulations, the exhortations for the churches in the book of Revelation, the seven, the seven churches identified in Asia Minor. So as, as Rufus would have mentioned in the last, last week, these seven churches strategically they were very, in a very important place um, at a very busy intersection of of civilization as, as it was back then. A lot of trading going on, a lot of traffic going through. And these were very important churches at that time in Christianity, because obviously Christianity was still um, in its infancy and it had yet to spread throughout the world. So very important churches and obviously what was being said to these churches at the time uh, was of particular significance given their, their strategic importance. And of course, who is speaking to the churches? It's Jesus himself. The very words of Jesus straight to the churches. So um, it's, uh, if, if you like, aside from his, his discussions or his teachings with the disciples, this is his, if I'm rec correct, the only recorded time where he, he's speaking directly to the church once it's been formed, the church that has been formed. And so as, as, as each letter says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So it is Jesus who is speaking, but it's also the Spirit. And essentially they are, they are one and the same. They are both. Jesus has the Spirit of God in him. And so it's very important for each of these churches that they listen. And obviously it's important that we listen. Amen. So we're looking today, we looked last week at the corrupt church of Thyatira. And today we're looking at the church of Sardis. So turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember therefore how you have received and heard Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And Lord, we do want to hear what you are saying uh, this morning to us. We really want to hear what you are saying, Lord. So I, I do pray that you'll just speak 
your words through me, Lord. And Lord, you would just uh, ready our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, who's speaking again? It is Jesus who's speaking. It is he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. And the seven spirits are, you know, there's different interpretations as to what that means. Some people say it's there are seven angels before God's throne. Um, some say it's the Holy Spirit and that the seven represent the different, seven different um, aspects or characteristics of the Holy Spirit. In, in Isaiah 11, it talks about um, sort of seven, you could argue there's seven different aspects of, of the Holy Spirit. Um, but to be honest, we don't, we, we don't fully know. But we know that he who has the seven spirits is Jesus. And he who has the seven stars is Jesus. And the seven stars, we do know, are angels assigned to the seven churches. So it's very clear who's speaking. We know who's speaking. And that Jesus, in a sense, has authority over the, 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 the seven stars. Uh, they're at his command. And in some sense, the seven spirits as well. We don't fully understand that, but we know that it speaks of the perfection. The seven always still speak of the perfection um, and the, the perfect spirit that Jesus has. And so it is he who is, he is, is giving out this message. So it's the same Jesus who we saw walking amongst the disciples, the Jesus who was the carpenter, the Jesus who was mocked, the Jesus who was crucified, the Jesus who, who spoke to the Samaritan woman, who dined with, with sinners. It's the same Jesus, but we, now we see him in, in all his authority, speaking with great authority to the church. And it's to the church in Sardis. And as somebody pointed out before, that we... Um, there's, in recent times, there's been a lot of focus in Revelation on, on the, what they call the futuristic, we talked about this before, the futuristic interpretation of Revelation. So people are looking at Revelation as, you know, what does this symbol mean about what's going to happen in the future? However, um, what, what the problem with that, and I'm not saying there's, there's, not, there's not value in doing that, but one of the problems in it is that we don't look at the historical um, situation that it was written. So these, the, the, the book of Revelation was written in a very historical, specific historical context, and it was written to seven churches that were, did exist in history at the time, 2,000 years ago. So we need to bear that in mind. So it was written to an actual church in Sardis, uh, just like Thyatira, and, and, and Smyr, Smyr, Smyrna and Ephesus and all the other churches we're going we're to be looking at. So there's a real church. And what we see with the churches when um, Jesus is giving the message 
to the messengers. It says to the angels. Some people say that that just means a messenger. But when Jesus is giving this message to the churches, up until now, each church has had, the first thing they get is, is a uh, commendation or uh, an acknowledgement of the work that they are doing. That's, Jesus starts off with something, something good about, about what the church is doing. Here we see something slightly different with Sardis. He says, I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. So Jesus cuts, cuts to the chase here. He doesn't talk about the great work that they're doing. He says he knows their works. And it seems the implication is that from the implication of their works that people think, oh, this, this church is alive. But in fact, it's dead. The contrast could not be sharper between their reputation and their reality. The church of the living dead, the zombie church, if you like, they were going about doing things that seemed to give them a good reputation on the one hand, but yet Jesus, who has the seven spirits, Jesus, who has the seven angels, the stars, he knows exactly what's going on with them. And he's saying they're dead. They're absolutely dead. It's easy, isn't it? In, when, when, when we become Christians to focus on you know, the outward appearance, because Nobody, nobody wants to um, put their hand up and say, you know, I'm, you know, I, I'm, I'm not doing great. You know, especially on a Sunday morning, you know, you want to put on your best face if possible. But often, the rest of the week can be quite a different story. Once you get into the car, once you lock the door at home, um, there can often be a disconnect. Or when you're going into work, there can be a disconnect uh, between your appearance amongst your brothers and sisters and your day-to-day -day, uh, living out of, of, of your, your, your life. And Jesus talks, when he talked to the, to the, the woman at the well in, in Samaria, he talked of living waters. When you, you know, I've, I've watered it that will well up from inside you and it's a living water streams of living water which was the Holy Spirit but have you ever seen a, a, a um, water that doesn't actually move just in a, I, I was looking at a ditch a couple of weeks ago we were uh, on the recommendation of Ian and we went for a walk Audrey and myself and we were, we were at the field and they had these ditches and I was looking at it, I said, there's a nice river, and, and we looked down at it, and it was stagnant. It wasn't moving. It was dead. And, and the classic example of that, of course, is in, is in Israel, where we have the River Jordan, and it's flowing down the east side of, of Israel, and then it comes to the Dead Sea. It doesn't go anywhere, and it's just dead. It's absolutely dead. Nothing can live in it. 
And so this was the case with this, the church in Sardis. There was nothing going on that was of spiritual, or very little going on that was of spiritual significance. Even though there was a lot of activity, it wasn't spirit-led. It wasn't spirit-led. And there's a contrast with, with some of the, the previous churches. Um, the most obvious one is the church of Smyrna. If you remember the church of Smyrna, they were um, persecuted, they were going through tribulations, and they were in poverty. But then in brackets, um, the, the revelation, the, the message to them says, but you are rich. And it talks about the blasphemy of the Jews who are basically uh, persecuting them. And it wasn't just, wasn't just church, the church of Smyrna, but they were the classic example, the classic contrast with the church of Sardis. They were being persecuted for what they believe. And it seemed on the face of it that they were poor, but in fact they were rich. Whereas with Sardis, they had a great reputation, but they were um, dead. They were absolutely dead. And we don't know exactly why. We don't know exactly why they were dead. But certainly, if, if you read between the lines, it would appear that even though on, on the one side we have um, Smyrna, and the other side, in, geographically, we had Philadelphia, both those churches were being persecuted. And um, Jesus references the synagogue of Satan in, in both, both those situations. So it seemed that there was kind of a religious persecution from the Jews as well as, you know, sort of Roman persecu persecution going on. And geographically, they were either side of Sardis. With Sardis, there's no reference at all to persecution. And it would appear there's no persecution because they're doing nothing that warrants persecution. They're basically trying to get along. They're not putting their head above the parapet, so to speak. They're just doing enough to exist in, in, um, in harmony with, with those around them, even though those around them were not believers, whether they were Romans or they were Jews or they were worshippers of, of, of the pagan idols. So there was a, the idol there, there was a, there was a temple to uh, Artemis, who was an, a goddess of fertility, amongst, amongst other things. And so they were in a very similar situation to the, all the other churches, but there was no persecution happening to them. One might assume that it was because they didn't want to cause offence. Or maybe they were just complacent. Certainly it appears that they didn't want to cause offence. And, and arguably, the, uh, the, the, the biggest religion going today... Is, is the religion of tolerance, isn't it? As long as you don't cause offence, you're fine. Everyone can believe what they want. But woe betide you, woe betide you, if you question someone's beliefs. And so this seemed to be the, um, the situation in, in Sardis. It's a very sobering um, very sobering word 
when Jesus says the first, pretty much the first thing he says to them is you're dead. You're dead. It's a very sobering word. And in most, in most of the letters to the churches, there is a word of warning or criticism, if you like. There's only, there's only two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, where they have no word of criticism from Jesus. But in most of them, there is a word of uh, warning or criticism. In this case, it's the crit- criticism first, followed, followed by a warning. The warning, the warning is to be watchful. The criticism is you have a reputation, but you are dead. And Smear and sorry, Sardis as a as a city had a great reputation. It was a, a great city, a rich city. Some people say the first coinage ever in the world, certainly the first coinage in, in Asia, was minted in, in Sardis. It was a strong military city, strong trading city. But its reputation was kind of on the wane of it. But as a, as a, as a church, um, they also had a reputation. But as, as Jesus was saying, you are dead. You are dead. And that was a criticism. And then the warning was to be watchful. Um, I've seen that interpreted as to wake up. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found your works perfect before God. So obviously they're doing some works. They were doing works, but they weren't perfect before God. Perhaps they were religious works. Perhaps they were coming to church. Perhaps they were praying, but their heart was not there. Their heart was elsewhere. And whatever they were doing, it doesn't seem to have warranted persecution. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, hold fast and repent. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will know, not know what hour I will come upon you. What's interesting about Sardis is its history In its history, it relied very much on its sort of geographical location, and its geographical location was one where it was, um, it had three sort of, I think it was cliffs, large cliffs, that gave it a, a super uh, fortress against enemies. And there was only one side, I think it had an, a, the Acropolis on the, on the sort of the fourth side, and they felt very secure as, as, a, as a city against any attackers. It was, they're almost impregnable. And yet, in, I think it was around 500 BC, the king of um, Persia, Cyrus, came and he attacked the city. Initially, what had happened initially was there was a, a, a fight in the plain in front of, in front of um, Sardis. They went out, uh, the, the king of Sardis, or Lydia, which was the province that Sardis was in, he was confident that he was going to beat Cyrus, he didn't beat him. He, they, so they all retreated back to the, the citadel or to the fortress um, of Sardis, thinking, well, we'll be safe there. But it turns out that there was one spot, there was one spot where they had to watch. 
There was one entrance in, into the city to have to watch, and apparently, um, the, the person who was designated to, to watch over there, the, the watchman, he fell asleep. And they came up, uh, Cyrus sent, it, sent his men up, uh, a small band up, and then the rest of them came in and they, they conquered uh, the city. And something very similar happened about 300 years later when Antiochus the Great came up uh, with his men and again uh, there, was, there was a breach. And again, apparently, it was due to somebody not watching. Uh, watching uh, one of the watchmen were, were, went to, were, fell asleep or something. So this letter had particular significance or resonance with the people, they would have known what, what, what Jesus was talking about from their history. They would have known how they would have put their security in the, in the, in the stronghold that, they were, that, they, they, that Sardis was in and how, because they didn't watch, the place was ransacked and conquered twice. It's, a, it's an expression that we see used quite often in, in the Bible, and particularly by Jesus. Uh, Jesus will reference both to watch, and he also references uh, the concept of a thief coming. If you turn to Matthew... Matthew uh, 24, verse 42. Watch therefore, you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But notice, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. And then in, in Matthew 25, it talks about the, and Jesus talks about the wise and foolish virgins you're probably familiar with. And he finishes by saying, Watch therefore, you know not the day nor the hour on which the sun is coming. And we know the five, five foolish virgins, when the bridegroom came, they didn't have oil in their lamps at the time. Paul also talks about it in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Concerning the times and seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord 
So comes as a thief in the night, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should not overtake you as a thief. You are all sons and daughters, sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us, be, let us watch and be sober. Final references, Revelation chapter 16. In verse 15, Jesus says, Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. So, there's the warning and there's the command. The command is to watch. The warning is if you don't watch, Jesus will come like a thief in the night. So what does it mean to watch? As we said, another interpretation of it is to not, not to sleep, not to slumber. It's not just about, um, you know, some people are, are quite fascinated with the times, the end, end times and all the signs and all that sort of watching those. That's not, I don't think that's primarily what it is. It's primarily about being ready like the virgins, the wise virgins who had oil in their lamps. Not the foolish virgins who didn't have any, who weren't ready. So how do we get oil in our lamps? Well, it's talks about, that's talking about the Holy Spirit. It's talking about God's love, God's Holy Spirit. And unfortunately, um, you can't buy it. You can't buy it. Now, um, we know of the sorcerer in, in, in Acts, he wanted to buy the Holy Spirit. You couldn't, he couldn't buy it. Um, you can't get it on Amazon. You can't get the Holy Spirit on Amazon. You can't get it on YouTube. You can, you can watch talks about it on YouTube and you know, like that can be helpful, but you can't get it on YouTube. You can't download an app with the Holy Spirit and you, you, you can't top up, top up on the Holy Spirit when, when you want to. Um, you, have, you have to make the sacrifice in your life to spend time with Jesus, to spend time with God, to spend time in his word, to pray. There really is no, there's no other way. And Jesus is giving a, a, a warning. This isn't lovey-dovey Jesus. He's giving a warning, a very harsh warning. And, and it's particularly uh, significant because this church was known as a good church. And yet his warning is particularly, particularly strong. So we need to watch. 
We need to watch. Strengthen the things which remain. They are ready to die. And I know with COVID, a lot of churches have been hit by COVID because it's, it's, it hit, it hit numbers for one. People have just disappeared from church due to COVID. Um, it's shaken up churches a fair bit. And some churches like our, ourselves are probably down to the bare bones a bit. But Jesus is saying, strengthen the things that remain. Strengthen what remains. And that's what we want to do in this church. We want to strengthen what remains. We're having, uh, we're getting people discipled. We're getting the children's ministry up, up and going. Um, we want to strengthen the things that we have because we don't want to be a dead church. We don't want to go through the same rigmarole every week, week in, week out. We want to be a, a, a vibrant church. We want to be an alive church. But that, it's done corporately, but it's also done individually in our own lives, that we have that oil in our, in our lamps. We have that oil in our lamps every day. Hold fast. The expression hold fast comes three times in, in uh, the book of Revelation and in, in the writings to, the, to different churches. Hold fast and repent. So hold fast means essentially cling tightly to what you, what you know to be true. Strengthen what remains. How you received. Remember therefore how you received and heard. So when you heard the gospel, what was the gospel? You believed in faith. Many of you may have had a joy, a great joy, when you believed. And, and Jesus talks in the parables about those uh, where, where the, um, the seed, the parable of the seed, where, where the seed falls on, on hard ground and it springs up great joy, but it doesn't have any root. But remember the joy that you had. But remember what you believed. You believed that Jesus died on the cross, but you also believed um, that he rose again, that he's alive in you, and that you're going to heaven. Great things to believe, but if you lose sight of those, that you're going to heaven, and you focus here on earth, you're going to water down your, 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 your walk with the Lord. But he says, hold fast and repent. When you became a Christian, you didn't just believe, you repented, you turned from your old ways. You turned. And this is a, it's a warning, but it's also an encouragement that if you feel you've drifted from the Lord, it doesn't matter how far you feel you've drifted, you can always repent. Always repent. Hold fast to the fact that Jesus died for your sins, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all right unrighteousness. So if you feel that you've defiled those garments, Jesus is here to purify you uh, from all unrighteousness. 
but you must repent. You must repent. You can't just keep on kind of, you know, keeping the head down, but not, not really following, following Jesus. You must repent. And it talks about a few who, um, whose names were even in Sardis were not defiled. Their garments were not defiled. That's often the case in churches. You'll have a, 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 a faithful few who just keep going. And sometimes the, the temptation from those who are really faithful is kind of, kind of shack up and, and leave and, and go to, to a, a different, different church. Um, and this wasn't this wasn't really an option in Sardis. They only had one church to go to. But encourage to, encouragement to those who, who are faithful, that the Lord sees your faithfulness. He sees your faithfulness. And he's going to reward you on that day you're going to walk with him in robes of white, in robes of righteousness. Your name will not be blotted from the book of life. Whose name will not be blotted from the book of life? He who overcomes. He who overcomes. I think one of the problems with... <coughs> With so many people falling away from from Christianity, and and you know I've seen it over years, is that people's understanding of the gospel when they come to know uh, Jesus or when they hear the gospel, they don't fully understand it. They think it's you say a prayer and you're and you're in. This, in Sardis, they trusted their security. Their security was in this the fortress was in the geographical location of, of, this, of the town. And they thought, oh, we're safe here. We're grand. Jesus is giving a warning. Don't just trust in the fact, oh, I said a prayer a few years ago and, and I made a commitment and I had an experience and it was great. Don't trust in that. And think, I can do what I want now. The Bible doesn't say you can do what you want. Jesus says, watch, be ready. I can come like a thief in the night. There's no messing around with Jesus. He wants us to have a real, real relationship with him. He wants us to be alive. He doesn't want us to be dead. But the great encouragement is if we do feel dry, if we do feel dead, if we genuinely, genuinely repent, he will forgive us our sins, he will cleanse us and he will purify us from all unrighteousness. He who is an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So if the Lord is speaking to you, um, don't ignore it. If the Lord is speaking to you, uh, hear what he is saying. And remember, it is Jesus who holds uh, the seven spirits, the seven stars. Who He has the seven spirits and he holds the seven stars. Jesus can give you the power 
He can give you the, that life. He can give you the Holy Spirit to renew the love that you might have had before, but you've, you've kind of gone cold or whatever. Jesus can do that. So, um, that's all, let us all watch. Let us watch. Let us not fall asleep. Because um, the day is coming soon. Amen. Amen. So we're going to, um, we're going to have uh, our communion now. And it's a good time to, to really just think, obviously, what Jesus has done on the cross for us. But also to examine our hearts. To examine our hearts. You know, I, I, um, I'm doing a leadership course at the moment in work. And every week we're kind of given this survey where we have to do a sort of self-examination of our style, our leadership style, or our personalities. And you have, to, you have to fill it in and you come up with a score that you're competitive or you're a compromiser. I'm competitive, by the way. But it, I found it's very hard to actually honestly fill in the survey. Because some of the questions, if you answer it a certain way, it doesn't look good on you. It doesn't reflect well on you. And I know it's hard for us to examine our hearts and think, well, you know, I'm not, I'm not really that cold. I think I'm, I'm living quite a good life. Ask God, ask the Holy Spirit to show you what's in your heart. The best way to do that is, is through his word, to read his word and, and genuinely uh, look and say, Lord, this is the mirror. What, 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 what am I seeing in the mirror? Um, because it's very hard for us just to examine it ourselves. But as we come now, um, we're looking at Jesus. We're looking at what he did. He died for us. doesn't matter how bad we are, how bad our week has been. Jesus died for our sins, and he rose again on the third day. But the scripture does say, examine yourself so that you do not um, take the bread or the wine in, in an unworthy manner.